The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant-on world? Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Here's Sunjo Gall. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Today's topic is transforming higher ed. And our guests for today's show are Kelly Troswick, who's the VP and CIO with the University of Washington. Good morning, Kelly. How are you? Good morning. So, again, uh, the, the way the world is moving, are you able to keep your sanity intact as a CIO? Uh, it's fun. It's fun. So I like the positive attitude. By the way, we also have Dr. Michael Zastrocki, who's the executive director of the Leadership Board for CIOs in higher education. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So in your world, how, is, how, how are things changing? For the good, for the better? Well, for me, in terms of Colorado, it's not changing for the good right now. We have... Uh, a state that's on fire, and uh, technology, I'm afraid, isn't going to completely resolve that particular problem. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. And we also have Ed Adams, who is the Chief Technology Officer and Director for Computing Services at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan. Good morning, Ed. How are you? Good morning. Just fine. Thanks. All right. So uh, what's happening in Michigan? Uh, probably the same issues that everybody else is having. Weather is great. Finances are bad. Um, and we're considering transformational issues. Great. So transformation is on everybody's mind. To set, to set, just to set the stage, uh, higher education definitely is seen as one of the core uh, fundamental building blocks for any country and or for that matter world altogether so that we have the next generation of entrepreneurs and businessmen and leaders uh, that we can almost promise based on what we do today with respect to higher ed. Now, if you were to truly inventory the challenges which are hindering and or are being are forming a stumbling block in terms of what what prevents us from basically improving the educational outcomes. What are those? So, Kelly, do you want to just take that on? Well, I think there's um, three major problems. Um, the financing is eroding in higher education, so we're asked to do more with less. Our total spending per student has gone down almost $3,000 a year, but the degrees that our students want and our industry here in Seattle wants are expensive, um, uh, high-touch degrees such as computer science, electrical engineering, biochemistry, bioengineering, and those are um, our most expensive degrees to provide. So we need to think about how we can do that and maintain quality and um, have them done more efficiently. We also have, um, because of eroding state support, we have um, tuition increases that have been 
astronomical, 15 16% a year for the last couple of years. And for middle-income families and lower-income families, those, those tuition increases aren't sustainable. We can't um, effectively raise tuition enough to cover the loss in state funding. And then finally, um, in general, people are, you know, 80% of our population incomes are, are stable or stagnant or declining. So because of that, that's our bread and butter at the University of Washington, our, our um, working class, middle class families, and it's a bigger burden for them to send their children to a university than ever before, and they're working harder to do that. And so we have to be more accountable. They want their kids out in four years. We, we measure our graduation rate in, in five and six years, and we're proud of it, one of the best in the country, but, but students want to get out in four years because they can't afford to not get into those gateway courses or bottleneck courses on time and get out on time. Um, so those are just some of the challenges we're facing here at the University of Washington. Mike, uh, in your world, since you have seen across your uh, multiple you know, companies that you may have dealt with the universities or higher ed, what is the common denominator? How much does that resonate with what Kelly mentioned? Well, I think that what Kelly said, the financial part, is certainly a key element. We've been saying for many years we have to learn how to do more with less and some have heard me say that the only thing I've learned how to do more with less as I've gotten older is food. I can eat less food and gain more weight. Uh, but as far as the technologies and the use of technology to transform the business of higher education, budgets are tight. And when they're not tight, many times what's happening is the pressure is being put onto CIOs in higher ed to do things that uh, perhaps uh, we're not ready yet to do in terms of transforming the business of higher education, that it seems like uh, in some institutions uh, we want to spend money on technology but not on people. And we have to remember that the business of higher education is to build bridges to wisdom and understanding. And while we are uh, looking at uh, technologies that can help us do that, the real answer isn't in just the technology. It's in relationships with uh, students and faculty members, administrators and uh, faculty members and students. And those kinds of issues require uh, time and people interaction. And so when I look at the, the budget issues, I look at the demand for higher education to be more accountable, to provide more with uh, less resources, I think it still boils down to that we're in the people business and we're going to have to learn how to uh, pick the best of what we've done in the past. We have 2,000 years of a formal, 3,000 years of formal learning. Uh, how do we take the best of that and bring it forward with or without uh, uh, the latest, greatest technologies? And I think that's the challenge that many uh, people in higher education face. You know, professors are, are concerned about the quality of student that's coming in, and uh, on the other hand, parents are concerned with the quality of education that their uh, sons, daughters are receiving today. Now, Ed, based on what Mike and Kelly just mentioned, do you think most of these problems that you're talking about are some things that we could control truly, or is it something God bless? No, and, and you know, I think that we're, 
everybody's facing the same thing. I mean, the points that Kelly and Mike raised are the same that Michigan raises, the same that we've heard. And I, what I would cautious us on is that, you know, technology by itself is not going to get us out of this. But at the same time, I think we're, we're at sort of a, a magical moment where budget crises, um, students are clearly learning in different ways now that aren't necessarily matching the ways that we're delivering education. And the, the proper use of the right kinds of technology can make life easier, can deliver things to students better. So it's not just looking at raw technologies and saying anymore, I need one of those, five of those, one of these, this will fix. It's finding that right thing. Um, it's, it's applying technology, the proper technology, to the right business case. And that's what we're trying to, and that's what we're trying to look at. Now, when we come, and now this question is for Mike. So what is it that we feel totally is going out of control, Mike? Uh, is it is it something that where uh, the outside world has got expectations out of higher ed, which are totally unprecedented and or or something that we have always tried to catch as a moving target, but we have never been able to? Well, I guess that uh, when I look in terms of the term out of control, maybe, uh, difficult to answer, but when I look at higher ed, we have uh, a history in terms of teaching and learning uh, that's pretty strong. And, and in higher education, we have uh, out of the ten oldest organizations globally, you have I think somewhere seven or eight of those are universities. So we've been around a long time. We've learned some things around uh, a long time. Uh, I think the question comes in today in terms of uh, how do we take uh, the demands that we have for education today. I think you started off by talking about how important higher education is to an economy or to a, a nation. Absolutely. If you want to look at any region, state, local government, the better uh, acquainted they are with the higher education resources they are, the better linked they are, uh, the more likely they are to draw the kind of businesses in that uh, that they would like to that would provide jobs for the future. So higher ed's at the core of that in many instances. And yet when we look at higher education today, we're educating a larger percentage of the population than we did uh, in just before World War II in 1940. Only three and a half, three and a half to four percent of uh, people went to college as it were. Uh, and that's not just in the United States, but that's in the developed nations. Uh, when you look at what we have today, we're, we're dealing with numbers that uh, uh, over 9% have terminal degrees today in the United States of some kind. So we have educated a lot of people, but the question is, what's the value of that education? And I think that's the challenge that we're facing today. We see it in the news media. Should we really be spending uh, six-digit figures on higher education when 25% of the graduates of our colleges and universities today come out uh, and aren't able to get a job, or the jobs that they get are certainly uh, less than stellar working at the local grocery store or whatever. So I, I think those are challenges that we have to face, and we have to look at how can technology not only improve the quality of teaching and learning, make it more accessible and bring an equality into play. We're rich and poor. Uh, those that have uh, special talents and those whose talents may not be so special can get the kind of education they need to be uh, able to have quality jobs and life uh, uh, issues for, uh, for them. 
Now, Kelly, one thing is to basically challenge the the external environment and because of which things are happening. But then let's look at the other side of it as a consumer. Like let's look from a student and or their parent standpoint. One is the product, which is the very education you're imparting or what courses that they're taking. Another is the very experience. And third is the satisfaction value that they're getting out of it. Are we focusing more on the socialistic aspect to make it affordable? And then because we are making it affordable, we are trying to go too low or maybe cutting corners because of which the experience, the very product, and as well as the satisfaction value is diminishing. So they are saying it's not worth it. You know, um, I have an interesting perspective because I have uh, three kids that are about ready to enter the universities systems. Um, around. I have three kids in high school right now, and I have a lot of friends whose kids either attain other higher education institutions or actually are attending the University of Washington. So I'm exposed every day of my life, every barbecue in my neighborhood, to the outcomes of what's happening in colleges um, at a really very real level with parents. I'm also here at the university um, we came into the university. The University of Washington's lost over half of its state support um, in the last four years. So a major shift in what we do and what is important and what's going to be our core values had to be asked at that time. So I know what we at the university are doing. And um, then you look at um, – and so – I think about that, and when we went through that very difficult process of what do you keep, what do you um, invest more in, what do you try to be better at, um, the quality of the undergraduate experience was the the top thing on our list, the the top thing that we were going to put more resources into, not less, even in a time of divinity, that we were going to shift resources to uh, was providing students with better information about what courses they could take and how to go to the university, providing, um, so investing in systems that let students um, model different degree programs. We are investing in the courses that students need to get through. And um, we are uh, also as an institution looking at all of our costs across all of our and benchmarking ourselves not only to um, internally to get better but also to industry standards of how we run our infrastructure. So we're doing lots of things at the university level to try to maintain that quality in, in times of really diminishing resources. But it was interesting, interesting to talk to people and students and parents that have been here and they're very happy with the experience, the, the opportunities for research, um, while students may be in 700 student introductory courses, they're also taking small courses with faculty that know their name. The average size of a, of a course at the University of Washington is 38 students. And so we're trying to get that mix right um, between saving where we can on ways that won't impact quality and really um, and investing in things that really make a difference in the front end of student systems and um, I think it's been a, a it's been a long and difficult couple of years but 
I think that um, by doing what Mike really said, which is talking to parents, students, uh, faculty, administration, um, about how to do this together has been a, a successful um, formula here at the University of Washington. And I know that I know the, uh, some of the people at University of Michigan, um, Ed is right, we're in a very similar situation, the University of Washington and the University of Michigan. And, and some of the smartest people in the country um, work at these institutions, and they're very interested in maintaining that quality um, and improving that experience for the families and students um, in our institutions. Okay, let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And, Ed, when we come back, I'd like to ask you whether there are any new normal-related changes that you expect in the way uh, higher ed uh, you know, transforms or the way it works going forward. Because we could have had the same conversation about transforming higher ed, say, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. and many of the same challenges could have been repeated at that time. And so what challenges were there earlier are no longer relevant, and what are the newer challenges that we are expecting? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The instant-on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show. Here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Ed, when we are looking at what the discussion we are having today, this could literally be taken back 10 years ago. And maybe perhaps, that we, I do not know that, but many of these items could have been repeated verbatim. So what's new? What is something which is no longer relevant that was a challenge 10 years ago? And what's a newer challenge that we are grappling with? Um, you're absolutely correct. In fact, I probably could say this goes back 20 years um, I've been at the University of Michigan 20 years. Before that, I was in private industry, and I still consider myself more the, the transformational person in, in industry than here. Um, and I think we've been able to save ourselves because of our standard process. 
We've either put more kids in seats, um, we've raised tuition, we've done incremental things. That's what we would have done 20 years ago and 10 years ago. And I think we're finally at a moment, um, maybe in a good way, maybe this will help transform us into a lot of issues, um, financial issues, building issues, cost in, in issues, state decrease in, in support issues. And we're seeing um, students also now starting to ask for different things. Um, in the same is, you know, the, an issue that we've seen for, for 10 years here has been this issue of do students come to class or do they want to participate in club activities um, and recruiting? We've, we've had that issue for 10 years. Uh, and, I, and I think that we're starting to see pockets of where we're transforming that thinking. So our med school is streaming all first-year um, anatomy courses, and they're not requiring students to come to certain courses. You can watch this thing online, um, and you can take competency exams and fulfill credits. Um, the Raw School is looking at similar things when we look at the non-traditional degree programs like part-time and evening MBA. A lot of our, or, yeah, our executive MBA is delivered a lot in course material that's delivered outside of a course and that you come to class for weekends once a month to hear faculty uh, engage in the, in the details of lecture material, not the core sets. Um, and we're looking at ways of distributing video so that we can teach classes in a way that we didn't have to teach them before. You know, you don't have to have somebody stand up in front of a class and teach something that's foundational about statistics that we've known about for 300 years. We can figure out ways to deliver that outside so that our classroom experience can be more engaging. So those are ways that we can use technology or that we're starting to use technology without necessarily upsetting the apple cart of saying, you know, let's blow up all of higher ed. We just got to be more accepting that students are coming in from their, uh, all the way from kindergarten through high school now, learning in different ways. And I think that they're expecting and starting to demand that higher ed adopt some of those things that they've done before, the ways they've learned before. And I think now higher ed is saying, yeah, we can. This is a moment where we can adapt some of those technologies. And those are the things that we're trying to, to, to tease out. Now, with that said, Mike, don't you think that the newer breed of students are a little flavor different than what uh, we have seen over the last many decades? And, of course, every new generation brought their own flavors. So how much do you think higher ed has accommodated and or transformed itself incrementally to to basically be better suited to that consumer of education? Well, I think that you're right that the student coming in today brings different skills, experiences, different values uh, than students in prior generations. And uh, we've talked a lot about uh, uh, in recent years about uh, students that are digital natives or whatever you want to call them. And one of the challenges I've thrown out is that when we look at these students, while they have an ability to adapt to the technologies that's higher than what we've seen in the past. The one thing that I think makes it difficult for people who are instructors, professors today, is that uh, these students have a very short attention span. And so when you look at the digital native, many people have talked about them being 
uh, able to do multitasking? Well, we finally know from some studies at Harvard and Virginia that the brain really doesn't do multitasking. It does what we call multiplexing. And when you look at multiplexing, it's those short sound bites. And, in fact, uh, I think that uh, Kelly, looking at her children going to college, for me, we just graduated our fifth uh, child, our last one, and he's 12 years younger than the next youngest. So there was a real difference between our older children and this one that just graduated. He truly is a digital native. And, and watching them, one of the things that I realized was that it isn't multitasking that he was doing. You'd see him doing all these different things. What he was doing was little sound bites, multiplexing, which is a technology term, of course, that we know that you get just a little bit of things and then you move to the next little bit and so on and so forth. That's what they do. And that makes it very difficult for uh, people who are teaching to try to sustain a conversation, a long conversation. In fact, I shared that uh, when I was doing a, a seminar overseas in Australia. The dean of one of the large business schools in Australia said, that nails it. That's exactly what we're dealing And there's so many things to do that what happens is that they, uh, if they come to something that they're not comfortable with or don't like, they'll skip it because there's so much else to do. So that's the downside of it. The other downside that I've watched on a personal basis with some of our friends' kids is taking online courses gives them great uh, ability to level the playing field, to do things that they couldn't have done before, and uh, that's real well and good so that a student who needs a course to graduate uh, and can't get into a closed course on campus can take an online course, be able to complete their degree on time, which as was indicated uh, a bit ago as being important, is is important and something that's possible today through the use of technology. On the other hand, the downside is how do you know that the student who took the course is the student who is really getting the grade? Uh, it, it so often happens today you have businesses that have built up around how to cheat, and, and I don't think we've done a good job of, of dealing with that. And so that's another challenge that I think we face. Uh, I was on the task force for the Western Governors 15, 16, 17 years ago when they talked about building a Western Governors Virtual University, which is today the Western Governors University. And we talked about that, uh, myself and Dennis Jones from NCHENS and Sally Johnston from uh, Wichy. We sat down and we said, hey, you know, maybe what we need to do is to have the online come together with face-to-face -face and have regional testing centers where people are trained in local libraries or whatever to administer tests just to deal with that issue of making sure that the student who takes the course is the one who takes the exam. And those are things that uh, we still haven't a good answer 15, 20 years later. It's still a problem that we're, we're dealing with. So there's a lot to learn. And while technology does open up doors for people, uh, that's the positive side. It also opens up opportunities for uh, less education truly to be taking place. Now, Kelly, we heard from, uh, you know, Ed and Mike about what they feel in terms of, um, you know, where this is all going. Now, do you think we are a bunch of tired warriors stuck in analysis paralysis? I'm talking about the business and IT leaders and along with the crew and saying waiting for some magic to happen. Or do you think there is some actual positive, um, you know, transformational effort that is going on where you're seeing a light at that tunnel or for that matter, what tunnel? Let's see what the, where the light is. And, and we see the light, actually. Is there anything positive about this whole situation? Oh, 
I think there's a lot positive about this whole situation. I think we're on the cusp of really understanding what the data is telling us. Um, I think that there's been a lot of educational research in the last 10 years about how kids are learning differently. Um, they do. You are right. They are multiplexing, but there are ways to get around that to design courses um, that have short increments that test and reinforce and go back and ask kids how um, they are learning. So online learning programs, I think, are going to get phenomenally better over the next five years as this as this information becomes available. And that's really um, going to help address, I think, some of the questions of access for many of the students here, um, not at the University of Washington, but for, for the many students that can't get in, that are place-bound, that are working adults that need to return and get new skill sets. So I think that we're going to see um, the data that's coming in about how people are learning um, differently incorporated into our learning environments. And we're starting those pilots right now with instructional text trying to help kids learn across curriculum instead of across courses uh, learning objectives. And some of the places that have done that the best are actually in the health science schools, the medical school, pharmacy, and nursing, where they've really worked at redesigning their curriculums to try to um, establish competencies. The other thing that I think that's really changing how we all are learning and how we as institutions have to interact with our students is, is that we're much more connected and collaborative and they work in, across multiple platforms. So um, virtual office hours, uh, office hours that allow faculty to, to prep kids before a test or answer quiz sections have doubled the number of students that can that will participate in office hours if we run them in a virtual environment, which is great. I mean, that's that's exactly what you want is engaged learners that feel they're in a safe environment to ask questions. And the, the learning that goes on between students in this collaboration environment, um, I see it in my own kids, but I also see it in all the, the student labs. You're up and you walk through them and they're in Facebook, but they're not updating what they did for the weekend. They're working on their course problems for their chemistry exam. And I think that um, that is going to allow us, uh, as long as we accept that as part of the new learning paradigm for students, to, to really continue to reach a changing generation. Because it's not that they're, they're going to be this way in the university and then they're going to go out to um, their employer and have a different work environment. They're actually taking this work environment out with them to their their jobs, and so I think that um, we as educators need to provide lots of different pilots and platforms, and make critical assessments about what's working and what's not over time, and invest in support in those. So one of the things that we're doing um, to help with this this year is we're um, spending time and resources supporting faculty learning communities around flipping the classroom um, and allowing videos to be uh, pre-recorded and then students to come in and spend their class time um, with discussions, small group projects, uh, research, and, and really trying to add to the Improve, that having technology be a way to improve the quality and the outcomes with actually more high touch in the instructional 
Um, so I'm quite encouraged by what's going on right now. Um, and I think that the University of Washington is a leader in this, but I think that uh, students in schools around the country are also taking this kind of pilot um, engagement path. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We will be uh, right back. And, uh, Mike, when we come back, I'd like to ask that one is to make an improvement or the end goal is to make improvement. But there's an old saying that what you don't know enough about, you cannot measure, and what you cannot measure, you cannot improve. So where are we with respect to having uh, the people who are essentially working to solve these problems get their first act together to learn more about what's going on and like under the hood and then do some analysis? While I use the word analysis or the phrase analysis paralysis, but is there really quantifiable analysis that's happening and then solutions being picked up or something which we are just picking up based on our experience? So please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We live in an instant-on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change, that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. We live in an Instant On world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP's solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Mike, uh, like based on all the discussions we have had, uh, we definitely are all practitioners and we want to go a quantifiable approach to solving things versus looking at it in a subjective manner. So if you were to say across the industry, are we truly remaining academic in even solving this problem with higher ed or we are becoming a business trying to solve a business problem? Well, I, I hope we're not just a business solving a business problem. There are certainly things that uh, we bring in from business uh, education that's important for us, but teaching and learning is still an art form. If you look at uh, a good teacher, uh, giving them the tools, they will paint wonderful pictures. They'll build bridges to wisdom and understanding using different tools for different students. I think what we've done with technology is provided, as Kelly pointed out, opportunities to provide different ways of learning for different students. And I, we're getting better at that. 
We have surveys now that uh, we take of students, of faculty, uh, of the CIOs themselves. I've been running a survey for years for CIOs globally to look at how we strategically and tactically provide technology to support teaching and learning in the business of higher education. But the bottom line still comes down to that how do we create, as Kelly pointed out, uh, that high touch along with the high tech. And I think that when we look at the role of technology over the years, Ed pointed out that we've been doing some of this stuff now for 10, 20 years. Absolutely, even 30 years. If you look at the first cause survey back in 1980, uh, you look at the data there, uh, we spent the largest chunk of our budget for technology on doing administrative computing and 80% of the institutions doing administrative computing in 1980 were building their own solutions, homegrown. The last cost survey I did in 96, it was flip-flopped. 20% uh, was done by a vendor or by uh, homegrown and 80% by vendor applications. The ability to share. Today, uh, it's down to uh, the last survey that we just completed a month ago. It's down to about 10%. And there's other options in there, including open source, where there's collaborative efforts to be able to uh, provide those resources. But the bottom line is, how do we take those resources and apply them appropriately, both for administering the uh, functions of the institution, which is a very expensive proposition today, and how do we provide the right tools so that we can get the more uh, uh, the better high-touch opportunities in the hands of uh, faculty members uh, that are really trying to do a better job of teaching and learning to a diverse group of students. And so I think we are getting better, and we have data to support that. Will it be five years, as it was pointed out? I'm not sure. I don't think there's ever an end point. I think that we get better, and hopefully we keep building upon that year by year. And that doesn't mean that we throw out all of the things that we've learned in the past, uh, to just and start over. We don't want to do that. We want to build off of successes that we've had both uh, in face-to-face -face learning and online learning historically and learn from the things that we're doing today that provide greater opportunities for students so that we can provide even better opportunities uh, in the future. And I think that's what we really want to challenge is institutions not wasting money on things that have little value in teaching and learning. Nobody can really justify spending uh, hundreds of million dollars on a financial system or an HR system. Uh, you can't really say that uh, one university is better than another by how they do the accounting functions or uh, by the way that they do payroll. Uh, the real key is how do we use those resources that are limited to provide better opportunities for teaching and learning. And, and I think that's the challenge that we're going to face going into the future. Now, Ed, do you think we are, while we, of course, uh, we all agree that there is a higher purpose behind higher ed. However, the things that we want, whether we talk about high tech or high touch, both of them require fundamentally dollars and money in some form or fashion. And that will come from creative deployment and basically getting those consumers to consume it in enough uh, quantity and also on a consistent basis so that we have a surplus which can then be put onto these innovative and transformative projects. Do you think that's the mindset that we have today? And do you think technology, when we are talking about deployment of technology, can actually help us do more with less so that we can make this a reality or we are going to keep talking? Well, we can do better with less. Um, but it's a, good it's a good question to me because at the University of Michigan, we're going to two 
transformational uh, projects within IT campus-wide today. One of them is IT rationalization. So we're taking the IT leaders on campus are taking a real hard look at where the IT spend is. And we're trying to collapse some of that, that every school and college doesn't need a help desk. We don't all have to go out and buy unique versions of this, that, and the other. And with that, and we think we can save upwards of $100 million by just doing um, right-sizing of the business. And we can then reinvest those monies in a project that we're calling Next Gen Michigan, which is upgrading infrastructure or building better um, research high-capacity data centers for researchers or experimenting with some of these learning models that we've talked about that we can sort of standardize the delivery of classrooms so that maybe that there's a standard university-wide video infrastructure so schools and colleges don't have to invent this on their own. So that's happening today. Um, There's some of this with technology that we can just sort of apply. So maybe there's a two-answer to that. There's technologies that we can use, clearly. So at the University of Michigan, at Ross School, we've had a global MBA program for 20 years. And we can teach... um, In our flavor of distance education, we've had units in Brazil, Singapore, Hong Kong, and in France. And it's really a blended model. Some of it is delivered by video conference. Some of it is delivered by having our faculty go to those regions to establish uh, presence, presence in those countries and with the companies in those regions and with the students. So high engagement. But also a third component of that is bringing those students to Ann Arbor because we want them to be engaged in the University of Michigan. We don't want students that think they got their degree from us from some television screen. I think we've all said that. So we've been doing that for a number of years to try to just tease out these capabilities. But I will suggest the the kind of conversations that we're having now are not so much about technology. even though there are advances on things like video conference. So if we looked at, um, I won't name brand names, but something like telepresence that a lot of our peers have been doing or teasing out in many years. And I'm saying telepresence is going to transform the way we deliver anything. It is going to be as if a faculty member is in Ann Arbor teaching a class to kids in Germany. Um, Our friends at Harvard could open a regional center here very cheaply in Ann Arbor and deliver full degreed programs. That's how good telepresence is going to get. And that's going to let us do better things. But let's just step back. So we can talk about technology and transformation. and, And sort of at the core of this, too, is the way we deliver these things. And if you look at what European universities are doing, that they're starting to think about um, instead of the credit hour that we have, the number of hours that a faculty sits in a classroom and teaches the students, in Europe, in a lot of European universities, those are becoming learning credits. Not teaching credits, learning credits. And that's a different way of you know, measuring, you know, is a student learning something from a class as opposed to just the number of hours that they sit in classes. So I think it's really, we're looking at this from a combination of those things. What are the issues that we're typically dealing with with faculty, which is who owns the content, what happens if I develop a course, but then that course gets delivered um, virtually? Do I still own that material? Um, Can I get bought out if I 
if it takes me six months to develop an online course, I mean, how am I compensated for those things? We're having those issues here, too. And to me, those are as transformational as the technologies that we're going to use someday to help deliver some of those. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and we'll be right back. And uh, when we come back, Kelly, I'll ask you this question. What would you do or others in your position or maybe your counterparts and peers do if they were not afraid? What initiatives would you actually stop which are underway? Do not need to name them, but maybe the type of initiatives. And which ones would you want to jumpstart in order to really take higher ed to the level that you dream of? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. We live in an instant-on world, mobile and connected. To compete, you want data center flexibility so you can adapt quickly to changing business needs while keeping information safe. Introducing Enterprise Cloud Compute Services, HP solution for managing secure servers, storage, and networks, delivered as a service. Pay only for what you need. Create order out of chaos. The instant on enterprise is here. Are you ready? Start shaping your cloud at hp.com. We live in an instant on world, mobile, connected, and fluid. Competing in this world takes a special kind of workplace technology that adapts to change that allows seamless and personalized interaction. Introducing Workplace 360, HP's full lifecycle desktop management solution, delivered as a service. User subscriptions allow you to gain financial control and flexibility. The Instant On Enterprise is here. Are you ready? Visit hp.com for answers. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free 1-866-472-5790. Now back to the show, here's Sanjo Gall. Welcome back. So, Kelly, very quickly, what should we be doing if we were not afraid? What initiatives we should stall, which are unnecessarily bleeding? Or which initiatives should we start, which would actually bring transformative value? Well, I kind of had that question uh, posed to me probably a little over a year ago when um, I had a new president on the horizon, new provost on the horizon, and I figured I had a year to do whatever I wanted before... I was an interim CIO, and I had a year to do whatever I wanted before um, someone figured out what I was up to. And um, I think it was level-setting what our core mission was here for IT. And, and what I said was our customers are the faculty and the students of the university, and we need to transform that student experiment experience and we went all in in trying to make the student experience and pilots and collecting data about learning and learning management systems and um, e-textbooks and um, academic planning tools all of those things um, 
full force of the IT organization behind them. What we did differently, what we said we were going to do differently, we are one of those institutions that had spent um, 40 years on very stable, homegrown systems. Um, but we said the next round of systems that we're going to be investing in are not going to be on this campus. We're going to take the business model of the hosted software as a service model for our next generation of, of applications. And we actually stopped uh, programs that were in place around the financial system and are actually looking at doing our HR and payroll system first, which doesn't sound that transformational, but provides a lot of information. And those, the software in that space is really developing in ways that lets um, us get out of the business of, of running those systems and just being a consumer like businesses around the country. And we can spend our IT efforts on making research more effective, making um, cloud computing more accessible to students and faculty, allowing um, data. We're collecting, we're going to be con um, working in the massive online courses this uh, fall, and we're going to compare those to the outcomes of our standard online, our standard online courses and to our um, in the classroom courses to see what's working in each one of those areas. So we, we are, are at that mindset right now. Um, and I think that um, many people in higher education are also thinking in that way. So I'll oh, be interested to see what Ed and Mike have to say. Mike, Mike, what do you think? I think that Kelly brings up some really valid points, and it goes back to what I said earlier. Let's get back to the core business of what we're about in higher education and uh, the things that aren't our core business functions, let somebody else do it that can be more efficient and effective at doing it. I, I think the challenge, though, for us is to make sure that when we do those things, we don't lose control, but also that we do get the economies of scale that we should expect from having, uh, instead of us building, for example, our own financial system, having several hundred institutions share in the collaborative development, whether it's through a vendor or an open source solution or whatever else. So I think those are really important. Uh, the question then comes back with uh, if we are able to make those economies of scale, where do we invest? And I, I'm convinced that investing in people, uh, and that means taking the technologies that we have and then teaching them how to do use them uh, faculty, for example, if you look at Michigan or Washington, look at the tenure-track uh, strategies for the faculty members and what they get credit for and what they don't get credit for. And we still have a problem in that people who are truly innovative in teaching and learning and trying to do the best job of teaching and learning uh, may not get tenure. And those that uh, uh, that are doing things in research that may be questionable even that will likely get tenure faster than those that are, are concerned about how to be a better teacher. And, and so I think those issues have to be addressed as well. The whole issue of tenure and how do you get it and what does it mean, I think has to be addressed as well. And that's not a technology issue, but it certainly has technology implications that someone's going to invest a lot of time in creating content for online courses or learning how to do a better job of teaching online. Uh, will that be treated the same as someone who does a research paper or writes a book in a particular content field that gets a lot of credit for that uh, particular development of content? So I think those are the challenges that I think 
we also face today is making sure that we uh, get the best value out of the dollars that we're spending and at the same time reward people who uh, have different skills. Uh, it, it's not the same to develop content for a course as it is to do the research for the content. There's some people who are great at research and some uh, who are great at teaching, and they're not always the same. And I think we need to understand and begin to invest in that. So uh, one final question, Ed. The, we are looking at some uh, some blueprinting, right, for where we want hire to be. Can you describe it and say two sentences what that blueprint should be? What are we after? And then oh. do we have the actionable intelligence? I'm putting on your spot. So, yeah, that's a, that's a tough question, but let's try that. So, so one is to have an actionable blueprint. Then you should have something which is actionable intelligence, which allows you to know whether that blueprint is, is, is the right place to go and how will we get there. And then finally, the specific activities that should be done in order to get there. Do you think if you have clarity, great. If you do not, at least let's acknowledge that as a team. Uh, I, I, I don't have this, the point by point, but I would break it into three areas that I sort of touched on before. First, I think universities have to get to the point where they right-size themselves. And that's, in our version, that's the IT rationalization. Let's get to the point where we're figuring out what we're spending on IT in particular, but let's figure out what we're spending on marketing and HR and recruiting and all of that. But IT, let's figure out what we're spending and right-size that and reinvest those dollars. Um, I think that there are uh, four technologies that we should all be looking at and that is video, collaboration, mobility, and communications, social media, all of that. If we're not all looking at those as sort of four core things, I, I would question what we're doing. In terms of mobility, I think this evolution that we're seeing with iPads and mobile devices is just going to be transformational. It's going to transform the way students operate. It's going to transform the support services and the costs that we see at universities. And, it, and the, the next thing is, like, the, the test and measure. Um, that's what we're doing here. We all have to sort of test and measure the synchronous, asynchronous, and blended models of teaching because I think that's going to be part of it. And then the fourth one that I can touch on briefly is just this faculty governance piece. Um, we can't transform higher ed without looking sincerely at how we, I think, as Mike said, how we get tenure, how we teach, what a credit means. Um, all of that has to be looked at in order for this to be successful. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, Kelly, uh, Mike, and Ed. Uh, it looks like uh, we might have gone a little theoretical route of understanding what's the challenge with the, uh, the, the higher education and how to transform it. But the, the fact that if we have to raise awareness about this, there is a problem. And yes, we have to have some actionable insight and some specific targeted activities to solve it. Only then we can assume there will be some quantifiable and a quantum change that's going to come. And that's what we are banking on to build our nations going forward. Thank you so much again. And uh, uh, if you have any last uh, moment comments, please share. Um, you don't, I don't accept to say thanks for the opportunity. Oh, thank you so much. And, uh, and thank you so much again, listeners, for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you.
Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Join Sunjal Gall next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific for another hour of CIO Talk Radio. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by Citrix, offering go-to assist, remote support made easy. CIO Talk Radio is sponsored by HP Data Center Services, Cloud Computing Services, and Workplace 360 Services. Are you ready for an instant on 